Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament, and find the second chapter, if you will. I received an interesting email from Greg Laurie's ministry, and in the email he was talking about the various Christmas toys that have been popular throughout the years. Now, I've got to warn you, as we walk through this together, this is going to make some of us feel older than maybe we are as we think about some of the popular toys Uh, Christmas gifts come and go, it seems. They fall in and out of fashion. And he went all the way back to 1975. And in 1975, the hot gift, believe it or not, uh, was the Sony Betamax. Now, for those that are younger have no idea what the Sony Betamax is or was, it's something that recorded television programs. Because there was a day where if you missed the show, you missed it. There was no going back. And so this device allowed you to record your show on a, on a tape and then later play it back. And the interesting thing is back in 1975, a Sony Betamax would have set you back $2,300. That's how much it was. I won't ask who had one of those because people think, boy, they've got a lot of money. But anyway, another popular but less expensive gift from the same year this is really going to bring back some memories, was the mood ring. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, I think some people had the mood ring. And the, the mood ring, it would change colors depending upon, supposedly, what mood you were in. And believe it or not, it was one of the hottest gifts at that time. How many had a mood ring? Oh, there we go. Husbands, that's a good thing to give your wives, by the way. You can look at that thing and say, I better not talk about that right now. (laughs) Also hitting the market in 1975. Now kids, if your parents give you any problems about what you ask for for Christmas, you can remind them, especially if they go back a little time, that one of the hottest gifts in 1975 was the pet rock. (laughs) Kids, you say, what was the pet rock? It was a rock in a box. (laughs) And believe it or not, they sold 1.3 million pet rocks. I won't ask how many had a pet rock. I don't want to make people feel bad. I remember this when I was in school. I remember seeing this on television. It didn't impact me as a fella, but people stood in line for years back in 1983. Do you remember for the Cabbage Patch doll? 
And you could watch people, they almost fought over the Cabbage Patch doll. Uh, They were almost impossible to get. So I did some research and I thought, well, what is the hottest gift today? What is it that people really want? And I found it was very hard to nail down the hottest gift. Maybe they wait until after Christmas. I mean, people are still shopping today. But I did find the New York Times uh, in their strategist reported that one of the hot-selling gifts this year is a Bitsy, B-I-T-Z-E-E. And if you're wondering what a Bitsy is, it's an interactive and touchable digital pet. And it's housed inside a case that looks like a ring box. So I don't know much about Bitsy, but anyway, a lot of people want them. You know, many of us have no recollection or very little recollection about what gifts we received as a baby or as a toddler. I was kind of talking with Kaylin and Charlotte this morning about her first Christmas and about her opening a gift. And in reality, though she's going to love those gifts as a baby, not going to remember a lot of those gifts. A lot of us don't remember those gifts as a baby or as a toddler. But have you ever thought about the gifts that the Lord Jesus received at that time in his life? In fact, the gifts that the Lord Jesus received back at that time to us seem quite unusual. In fact, we actually sang about them this morning. He received, if you remember, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I'm referring, of course, to the wise men who came and brought him those gifts. And that's why I ask you to open this morning to the book of Matthew, the second chapter. I want to read the story with you, and I want to talk with you a little bit today about the wise men and these gifts that they presented to the Lord Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A lot of us would love to have one of those three. Now, I don't think anybody will turn down the first one. That is gold. But frankincense and myrrh, uh, that seems a little unusual to us, but we know that all this was done according to God's will. Would you read with me there? I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 2. I'll begin reading at verse 1, and I'll read down to verse number 12. If you'll follow along in your copy of the Bible. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's talk about these wise men for a moment and what we know about them. In all reality, we don't know a lot about the wise men. Who were they? We don't know exactly. Well, uh, where did they come from? We don't know exactly. We know they came from the east. How many wise men were there? We don't know. We often think there were three wise men because of the three gifts, but there may have been more of the wise men. And then furthermore, when did they come to the Lord Jesus? While we don't know exactly, we know it was not on the night of his birth. Now, we know we include the wise men in our nativity sets, and we certainly include them in our Christmas programs, and we can't go home and come back later and then have the wise men come in. We just kind of do it all at one time. But in reality, we noticed as we read today that when the wise men arrived, Mary and Joseph and Jesus were in a house. They were not in a stable. In fact, it could have been upwards of two years before they came because Herod as we'll find out later as you read in this uh, passage, uh, he had all the male children two years young and uh, two years and down murdered, killed. And so we don't know exactly when the wise men came. There's a lot we don't know about them. But there is this information we do know. And what we do know is very instructive. I, I ran across this, and I want you to hear this. And I want you to process this. As I was studying, I, I, I came across something that was very interesting. You know, we think about the wise men, we think about men who are very smart. And indeed, they were very smart. But as Charles Quarles points out, I want you to listen to this. Although the translation wise men may suggest insightful and contemplative men who learned important lessons from life experience, the term there in the Greek magi normally refers to those who mixed, are you ready for this? This is going to bless you, Zoroastrianism with astrology and black magic. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, we know in Daniel 2, the magi are associated with diviner priests and mediums and sorcerers. We find that same term in the Greek appears another time in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13. And it describes Elymas, the sorcerer, who is called the son of the devil and the enemy of all righteousness. Now, I'm telling you all this to tell you this. Now, listen carefully. He said the Magi are thus the epitome of the spiritual darkness of the pagan world. Their summons to worship the infant Messiah shows that Jesus is plundering Satan's kingdom and setting the captives free even as a baby. In other words, these type of people would be involved in all kinds of horrible things like a black magic and sorcery and mediums and all of those things. And yet these are the people who saw the star and came to worship. And it's a reminder that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those who are lost, regardless of where they are. He mentioned there that they probably, the East probably refers to Babylonia or Persia. And it could be that these wise men had access to the prophecies of Daniel. We're not sure. They may have had the prophecies of Daniel. They may not have. But regardless, we know that God so orchestrated things that these wise men, whom we would believe would be in darkness, saw this star and came and found the Messiah. That's how much God loves people. 
and God loves all people. What an amazing story this is. They travel all this distance to do one thing, and that is to worship Jesus. That's why they came. When they come to Herod, now Herod is quite a character. Herod is a wicked man. Um, Herod is greatly troubled. But he doesn't let on that he's greatly troubled. And he kind of prods these wise men and wants to know everything they know about this king who is born of the Jews. And Because Herod says, I want to go and worship him. So when you find this king, come back and tell me. Now, if you've read the story, you know that Herod was not interested in worshiping Jesus. Herod wanted to put Jesus to death. In fact, we find that there is much that goes on after this story. And there is great weeping and mourning as many of these children are put to death because Herod is trying to stamp out uh, this king of the Jews. It's interesting, too, did you notice as we read that Herod, he calls for the chief priests and the scribes. He calls for these people and he says, you tell me where the Messiah is going to be born, where this king is going to be born. And did you notice that they tell him right away the answer? And they mention there, it's, it's written by the prophet. Now what prophet are they talking about? They're talking about the prophet Micah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we have these words, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting But did you notice that they knew the prophecy? They were able to put their fingers right on it. They told Herod all about it. They knew the Scriptures, but they did not go with the wise men. Now, these are the chief priests. These are the scribes. These are the religious leaders. They know the prophecy. They have these visitors from a... The east come and visit and say, we've seen a star, we've come to worship him. They said, oh yes, here it is, right here in this scroll, the prophet Micah says in Bethlehem. And yet, what do they do? You see, beloved, it reminds us of many today who know the story, but they do not know Jesus. They know the Scripture, but they do not know the Savior. Salvation is so much more than just knowing about Jesus. Salvation is all about knowing Jesus personally. And it's possible to know the entire story. It's possible to know all about the Christmas story. It's possible to know all about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and yet not have a personal relationship with Him. You see, these wise men, they were not content about just knowing about Jesus. They wanted to meet Jesus. They wanted to know Jesus. They wanted to worship Jesus. And I wonder about you, friend. Now, you obviously know the story. You're generally acquainted with it. We've been singing about it today. We've been reading about it. We, we know all about the story, but do you know Jesus? That's the key. The Christmas story is more than just a wonderful story about a little baby who was born and there's shepherds and there's wise men and there's all this neat stuff. This is the plan of God being played out in history. This is redemption coming to us. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. We've done wrong. Our sin separates us from a holy God. We can't do anything about that ourselves because we're lost and doomed and condemned. And yet God says, I love you so much. 
I'm going to send my son. He's going to robe himself in flesh. Perfect God, perfect man. He's going to live a perfect life. And then at just the right time, he's going to voluntarily give himself to be crucified on a Roman cross, shed his blood, die, and be buried, taking our penalty upon himself. But then I'm going to bring him back to life. And when he comes back to life, he's going to be victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he's alive forevermore. And the Bible says very simply that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. People like the wise men. People like the shepherds. And people like you and me. That's how much he loves us. And you need to meet him personally. You need to know him personally. You say, well, preacher, what does that involve? It involves a recognition on your part that you are a sinner and that Christ is the Savior. And the Bible says if you'll turn from your sin and trust Him totally, He will save you. It's best expressed, I think, in a prayer where you express to Him the recognition of your sin and you ask for His forgiveness and you ask Him to become your Lord and your Savior and you give your life to Him. And friend, if you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that today. These religious leaders knew the prophecy. They knew the Scriptures. But what do they do with it? Apparently nothing. They just rejected the message and went on in their dead religious ways. You know, it breaks my heart. I thought about this. It breaks my heart to realize how many people are just going through dead religious motions even this morning. No life no eternal life. Just going through the motions, just going through religious activities. It's not religious activities. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. How many would go through all kinds of mantras and motions and, and sayings and quoting things and having people do all sorts of things religiously around them and they'll participate in that and they'll maybe feel a little bit good about it, but they have no true peace in their soul, in their heart. Because they do not have Jesus Christ. What a sad picture this is. The message is brought to Herod. What does he do with it? Well, we know what he does with it. He not only rejects it, he acts in a wicked way toward it. The message is brought to the, the chief priest and the scribes. And what do they do? They say, oh yeah, it's in Bethlehem. But they do nothing with it. They reject the Lord Jesus. Do not reject Him today. We think about the wise men. But then we think about their worship. Verse 11 is a remarkable verse. It says in verse 11, when they had come into the house, that's how we know it's not the same night. It's later on. They're in a house. It also says they saw not baby Jesus. They saw the young child. Did you notice that? The young child with Mary, his mother. And it says here, this is remarkable, they fell down and worshipped Him. And then they break out the gifts. I guess I didn't study it, but I assume this is where we get the idea of giving gifts with Christmas. They opened their treasures. They presented gifts to Him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I laughed because Danielle had a really godly, very godly older man who was a Sunday school teacher, and he always messed it up. He always said gold, frankenstein, and myrrh. Or, <laughs> but it was frankincense and myrrh. Now, I said we knew that they gave three gifts. 
But in reality, they gave four gifts. Did you catch the fourth gift? We know about the gold. We know about the frankincense. We know about the myrrh. But did you notice it says they fell down and worshipped him? The fourth gift was actually the greatest gift. They gave themselves. They gave their worship. Now think about this. This is a common sight. They walked into a house and there is a young child, a toddler, an older baby. And they see this baby with Mary and Joseph. And we know that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy people. They were not, you know, living here in a castle or in royalty in a sense. They were there in a house. And these men from the east, they fall down before this young child and they worship. They fall prostrate, I assume, before them, worship him and give him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, and they worship him. J.C. Ryle, I agree with him when he said, this is a striking example of faith. They believed in Christ when they'd never seen Him. But that was not all. They believed in Him when the scribes and Pharisees were unbelieving. But that again was not all. They believed in Him when they saw Him as a little infant on Mary's knee and worshipped Him as a king. This was the crowning point of their faith. They saw new miracles to convince them. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They beheld no signs of divinity and greatness to overawe them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak and needing a mother's care like any of ourselves. And yet when they saw that infant, that young child, they believed that they saw the divine Savior of the world and they fell down and worshipped Him. The wise men's faith was incredible. Amazing. I mean, they they were not watching the Lord Jesus multiply the fish and loaves. They were not watching Him raise the dead and heal the sick. They just saw a little child there. And yet they fell down and they worshipped Him. What a picture of faith. What a picture of worship. They responded to the light that God had given them and they responded in the appropriate way with faith and worship. May we emulate They're a good example. But we're not done. We're almost done. I know you're ready. But there's one more point. We see the wise men. We see their worship. But then we are met here with a warning. A warning. Remember that we're in a series called Some Not-So-Silent Nights. We're not told at what time of the day the wise men visited. I assume it was day or maybe evening. But we do find that there is a night mentioned here. And in the night, these wise men, they have a dream. Now, it's interesting to watch the dreams in relationship to the birth of Christ. And I'll go ahead and let you know. We'll look at some more in regards to that next week. But notice verse number 12. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, we have the advantage of knowing what Herod was like. We know what comes next in the story. We know the butchering of all these babies and these precious children. But these wise men didn't know that. They didn't know Herod. They didn't know about Herod. And so God made sure to reveal His will 
to these wise men to help to protect the Lord Jesus. This dream that God gave to these wise men helped to preserve Jesus' life. He did not die with all those other precious infants and children at Herod's wicked hands. And this part of the story reminds us, beloved, of a very painful truth. As painful as it is to think about what went on at Herod's command, consider this painful truth. Not everyone is going to love the Lord Jesus. In fact, not only are there those that are not going to love Him, there are those who hate Jesus Christ. They mock Him. They blaspheme Him. They revile Him. They despise Him. That was true in that day, and it's true today. This same little Jesus here will grow up into a man, and they will take him. By the way, he allowed them to do this. He could have called 12 legions of angels. He could have spoke the world out of existence. But he allowed them to take him and beat him and whip him and blaspheme him and mock him and nail him to a cross and kill him. The same Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, without sin or blemish. We should not be shocked. I know it's hard for us to fathom this because we love Jesus. We've given our lives to Jesus. We live for Jesus. We want everybody to know Jesus. And it's hard for us to wrap our arms around the fact that there are those who are going to reject Jesus. Not only reject Him, but hate Him. Despise Him. Blaspheme Him. Mock Him. Tear Him down. We should not be shocked at that. It is shocking for sure, but we should not be surprised that these things happen. We find it at the very beginning of His earthly life as Herod wickedly tries to put away the king of the Jews. We should not be surprised when they reject us as followers of the Lord Jesus. Now, I know that's not easy. None of us likes rejection. None of us likes being pushed back against, and certainly none of us would like any form of persecution. And By the way, our persecution here is mild, compared to many of our brothers and sisters in the world. But nonetheless, it's a form of persecution that we experience from time to time when we share Jesus and we have consequences that are not good that come back toward us. But we should not be surprised. We are followers of one whom they crucified. They put to death. They hated. And he's called us to do what? To follow him. And he's warned us, hadn't he? All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But he's also encouraged us. We're not supposed to be overcome with discouragement. We're supposed to look to him, right? We're to realize that he is victorious. If God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We know that we've won. We know that we are going to reign and rule with Him throughout eternity as Christians. And yet here, that's not going to be the case many times. We're going to face pushback and persecution 
and rejection. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light. And here's the interesting thing. I think this might be one of the hardest things. Even religious people will do that. There are religious people that you will go to and when you begin to share the gospel and you get down to the point that the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to heaven, that is when even religious people many times have a real issue. The exclusivity of the gospel message that Jesus Christ is the only way. And I just want to remind everybody here that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He's not one of many ways. He's not even just the best way. He's the only way. John 14, 6. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so religious people need Jesus. And when you go to those people, many times you will face rejection. How many times we have people say, oh, you know, you can come. Just don't mention Jesus. Don't, don't pray in Jesus' name. Don't talk about Jesus. You can mention God. Well, friend, can I just remind you, Jesus is God. He's always been God. He'll always be God. He was God before He robed Himself in flesh. And He's God forevermore. And yet these religious leaders here, they rejected Jesus and they went back to their dead religious ways. Can I just remind you today, and we're done. In all honesty, our job is not to discern how a person is going to respond to us. We don't really know. Our job is to share the message of the Gospel. When these wise men came, they told Herod. And Herod chose his own way. Herod chose and called the chief priests and the scribes and told them. And they responded in their own way. But when the message came to the wise men, they considered no inconvenience, no cost, no time commitment too great to come and worship, have the privilege of falling down and worshiping Jesus. As I prepared this, I couldn't help but think about this song. Perhaps you know it. What can I give Him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what can I give Him? Give Him my heart. Would you do that today? If you don't know Him, give Him your life, your heart, and salvation. And if you do, you say, well, what do we give Jesus this year? The same thing the wise men did. Worship. Fall down and worship the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these men. Thank You for loving them. Thank You for reaching into the darkness where they found themselves and shining the light and bringing them to the feet of the Lord Jesus in worship. And Father, thank You for finding us in our darkness and our lostness and shining the light of the Gospel into our hearts and bringing us to fall down and worship at the feet of Jesus our Savior and our Lord.
If anybody here does not know you, Lord Jesus, I pray the Holy Spirit right now would touch their heart. That you would bring them to saving faith. Yes, maybe they're religious. Maybe they're even a member of the church. But if they've never met you personally, I pray this very moment, your Holy Spirit would convict them and convert them. Father, for those of us who know you, Help us to pause in the midst of this busy Christmas time and just take a moment to worship you. While your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, friend, would you just take a moment right there where you are and just worship the Lord? Thank Him for coming. Thank Him for living for you. Thank Him for dying for you. Thank Him for rising again. Thank you. Thank Him for loving you. Thank Him for salvation. Thank Him for all the blessings in your life. And don't forget the spiritual blessings. Would you just take a moment, because I want it to myself, and I just want to fall down and worship the Lord right now. Would you just take a moment right where you are and just do that?